0: What is up? How you guys doing? Happy Father's Day. I, uh, <laughs> I heard an eh in there. There was an eh nah, in there. I, I I know. Father's Day isn't quite what Mother's Day is. But um, it's funny because, you know, you come to church on Mother's Day and we usually, you know, give out a flower or something. And, and Kellen and I were talking this week, like, what should we do for fathers. And don't worry, we're not giving you a flower. But we were like, okay, what if I was a dad and I was coming to church? What would I really want? And I thought, I'd want to know that we're getting out on time. That's like, and so here's what we, my gift to you today. If you are a father, I'd like for you to take a look at your watch right now. And um, you can, you can take a look about 25 minutes from now. I, my gift to you is that as a dad, I give you permission 25 minutes from now to just you know, like, put your hand up in the air. Like, hey, time to wrap this baby up. You know what? My gift to you. Happy Father's Day. Okay. Um, speaking of dads, I, I, it's, it's funny that we're, that I'm, I'm preaching what I'm preaching today because uh, we're, we're going to talk about a guy who liked to fix things. And dads, in general, love to fix things for one of two reasons. Either because you actually are like Mr. Fixit, you are really good at fixing things, or you're cheap like me, and so um, so you know like YouTube is my best friend. YouTube teaches me how to fix things. I love it. Um, and so I, I, but you know, let's be honest, Dad's Mr. Fixit doesn't always do the perfect job at fixing things, right? So like, I, let's okay. You might have some problems in your bathroom, but plumbers just charge too much. I, I actually think this is brilliant. Some dude thought, I already have a urinal. Why should I run a whole new drain? I think it's brilliant. Sometimes you just run out of space, you know, and, um, and you have to be creative. Uh, that You can take that to an extreme, and I don't want to have to go to the bathroom with some dude there. Do you hear what I'm saying? There would be touching involved. I'm not interested. But, um, but you know, it's not just the bathroom. It's also doorknobs are very expensive. Um, so are windshield wipers. As are car windows. They're all. So you use what you have. That's all I'm saying. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, you know. But here's the thing: fixing things isn't just about. Cars and um, and bathrooms. It's uh, I, I remember. I remember when my kids were in junior high, like middle school age. If there's any middle schoolers in here, man, I love you. I pray for you, because middle school is awful. Um, it's rough, and especially for girls. I, I I I didn't have boys, so but for girls, man, girls are middle school girls are just mean. Can I just say that? They're just mean. And, um, and I, re- I remember my kids would come home, and um, they would be heartbroken. You know, somebody said something, did something. And, and I, they come home heartbroken, and it would break my heart. And I'm dad. I want to fix it. And so I had like all these, well, you need to say this. Somehow that didn't go over so well. Um, but I, there's something in me that wanted to fix Um, what my kids were going through. But it's, uh, sometimes it's even deeper than just middle school girl things. Um, Sometimes you just, I don't know, dads, I don't know if you ever have this feeling like, like the whole house feels like there's a cloud over it, you know? Like something just doesn't feel right. I don't know if it's a, I I don't know if people are, aren't getting along. Um, Sometimes it's, uh, it's like a money thing, like you feel like you don't have, you're not making enough money to give your kids what they need or want, or your wife what she needs or wants, and um, and it just feels like there is this cloud hanging over your life. And, um, and the, there's something inside of us that feels like there's got to be a way for me to fix this thing. There's got to be a way for me to fix it. And I got to be honest, when my life feels like that, I... I start to get really insecure. I start to get scared. of, like, like, maybe there's no hope for how to get to the other side of this thing. And, um, and the, the, the thing in us is that we desperately want to control what we can't control. We desperately want to fix. And you learn, you and I all learn, moms, dads, all of us. This isn't just a dad thing. When things are out of control, when things feel like they aren't the way that they're supposed to be, and we're afraid... Our tendency is to want to control as much as we possibly can, to fix as much as we possibly can. But we learn pretty quickly when you're, in a, when you're a parent, you learn, there's a lot in this world that I can't control. And it's, it is maddening. Um, and so today, I wanted to introduce you to a guy um, who also liked to try to fix things um, and and we're gonna we're gonna dig into it, to his life at a time when he was facing a problem when he was facing um, things that felt completely out of his control, and he did his best to fix it. Now the guy's name is Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah uh, was a, a king um, back in the, at the time of the kings of the of Judah and Israel. Now uh, just so you know where it kind of fits, there's this there's this chunk of scripture in the Old Testament. That that is found in the book of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and the the purpose of these books is to help us to see the the sort of the chronological how um how what king came after what king and what happened in each of their reigns, and it kind of has this this um, pattern to it where it says like okay and so and so became king and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Right, And then so and so after so many years, then the next guy became king and he also did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what it meant at the time was it was like either the guy was like, hey, let's, let's really do a lot of um, idol worship. You know, like we're going to build all these altars to all these other gods. Or he was just a terrible person and he murdered people or some of them sacrificed children to other gods. I mean, there're just some really, really bad dudes. But that was the that was kind of over and over. It just and so and so became king in Israel and he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Of course, didn't they all? And then you get Hezekiah and he's like the opposite. Hezekiah becomes king and he's probably in his early 20s and he becomes king and he's got this thing inside of him that says we as a nation should turn our hearts back to God. We've been going after all these other gods for so long. We should turn our hearts back to God. And you wonder, you know, like, if somebody came and were, was like, hey, to, in our country, would be like, yes, we should do that. You know, most people would be like, yeah, whatever, shut up. You're 25 years old. Nobody cares what you have to say. And, I, and you would think maybe that would, that's what would happen to Hezekiah because they have, they've had years and years, decades, generations of of following these other gods, and this is just how life had become, and Hezekiah comes in and rule, and he says, here's what I think we should do. I think we should turn our hearts back to God, and, and we should destroy all of the, um, the places of worship of these other idols, and we should, we should rebuild the temple, and you would think all the old people were like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about, but no. Here's the crazy thing people loved Hezekiah. I don't know if he was charismatic, I don't know if it was just the spirit of God on him. People loved Hezekiah and they bought into his vision of what this this nation should be. And it was like it was like revival in Israel. Revival in Jerusalem in Judah and they <clears throat> So they were like fully on board. They're like, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Let's tear down all of those places of worship. And they did. They'd go up to the high places because they believe that's how you got close to God. So they'd go to the tall, the highest place in the area. They would build an altar. Well, they went to those altars and they tore them all down all the way throughout the land. And, and in Jerusalem, uh, Hezekiah came and he, he rebuilt the temple. He, he, it had been stripped of all of its gold and all, of it, all the sort of ornate things that had been a part of it. And he, he redid it. He put it all back in place. And, and everything was good. And let's, let's see what, um, how the Bible describes the end of that, that period. It says, this is what Hezekiah had done throughout Judah. Doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. That's how it's supposed to be, isn't it? You do all the right things. You make all the right choices. You turn your heart toward God, and so he prospered. We love that story because we want to know that if we do all the right things, We're going to prosper. If we make all the right choices, life is going to go well for us. That sounds like a great story. I sure wish the story ended there. But it does not. Because not, not too far after all of this had happened, the Assyrian army came to attack Judah. Now, when I say the Assyrian army, that probably doesn't mean all that much to you. Uh, we, you, you might hear the word Syria in there. It's the ancient uh, people of the Syria that we know now. They, have a, they are going in a civil war right now. It's a terrible thing. But we don't think of Syria as a world power, right? They're, they're not. But I'll tell you what. If you lived at the time of Hezekiah, Assyria was the dominant power in the world. They had an army that was filled with hundreds of thousands of bloodthirsty warriors. I mean, an army that dwarfed any army in the world. I mean, it was, and not only that, but they were known as awful, terrible human beings. That they would go and they, they would swarm into an area with hundreds of thousands of warriors and they would take whatever they want. They would, they would take your wife as a slave. They would take your children as slaves. They would burn everything you have and they would kill you. That's what the Assyrians did. They were like, they were like a, a force of nature that would come through like locusts and destroy everything in their wake. People were petrified of the Assyrians. And so everything was going good for Hezekiah. He'd done all the right things until the Assyrians come to attack. Let's read here. It says, "After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities thinking to conquer them for himself." And the reality is, we know this to be true, but sometimes you do everything right and life still goes wrong, right? (laughs) That's not rocket science. Everybody knows that. Sometimes you do, here, here is Hezekiah, he did everything right, and the worst is now on his doorstep, the king of Assyria coming to kill everybody that he knows and loves. Can you imagine that kind of fear? Let's just talk about fear for a second. That kind of fear is debilitating. I'm not just talking about fear like uh, I might get in trouble. I'm talking about fear like, like the worst possible thing that could happen is sitting outside, ready to come and plunder and destroy everything that you know and love. That's real fear. Hezekiah thought he did everything right. Now, here he faces the worst kind of fear he could possibly face. Sometimes you do everything right and life still goes wrong. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe you feel like, man, we did everything we possibly could. We tried to make all the right decisions, but still it went wrong. Maybe it's uh, in your finances, your money. You think, man, I I made all the cho- the best choices I could make. I I put money away, and and I I did all of the things that I'm supposed to do. How come my life is turned upside down financially? Maybe um, maybe you spent your whole life working out and and like being really good about your physical um, health, and cancer still comes. Sometimes you do everything right, and life still goes wrong. Um, and so Hezekiah, he's faced with his first real fear as a king. Everything's gone right so far. Now he's faced with this fear. What's he going to do? He did everything right, right? He is, he's the guy who said, turn your hearts back to God. He did everything right. What does he do? Does he turn his heart to God? Actually, what he does is he goes into fix-it mode. I can, I can fix this. And so he's, he's, we're going we're gonna to follow this story, and he's going to try three different ways to fix what's going on here. And the first one is, he first tries to pay off the king of Assyria. Let's read it. It says, So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria. I have done wrong. Withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Syria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah, listen to this, gave him all the silver that was found where? In the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. And at this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold, with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. This is is our first real lesson. When we are faced with fear, when we are faced with this thing that feels out of control, it is tempting to trade our faith for security. It's very tempting to trade our trust in God for security, I see it all. I mean, the things that we will do to feel safe are almost boundless. I've seen women who um, will stay in abusive relationships for years and years and years because they're afraid of what it will look like on the other side. The things that we will do for security, I, I've seen. I've seen uh, people marry the wrong person because they're scared they'll never find somebody good enough they'll never scared they'll never find the right person so they'll put up with all of this stuff in a person that they know is not the right person for them but they're scared that they will never have the security of marriage and so they they choose somebody who treats them poorly for the security of a paycheck Sometimes it's a, um, it's a job. Maybe, maybe you know that the job you're in isn't the job you're supposed to be in, either ethically or that you know God has something different for you, something better for you. But the truth is, it is so scary to give up the security of the job that you already know for the question of the unknown. It is tempting to trade trust in God for the security of the thing that we think we know. That's what, that is what Hezekiah did. I will trade, all that stuff that I said about rebuilding the temple of God, all the stuff that we did went out the window as soon as he was afraid. And he takes all of the stuff that he put in the treasuries, and he traded his faith. He traded his trust in God for some kind of security. Um, Sometimes it's about our generosity. i got to be honest with you, being generous is scary. And it's scary because I only have so much, and if I give out of that much, it means I've got less for me and my family and And all the bills that I'm supposed to pay right and and if generosity if just giving is scary be, then tithing the idea of giving a tenth of what I own is should be petrifying it's scary because i I don't always know how that's going to work out uh, i I got to be honest with you i um there was a time years this was years ago, uh, but I was still on staff at our church, and there's a time that I'd, I had been tithing my whole life. You know, this is the way I grew up, and so, you know, you give 10%. And, um, and there was a, a time in our life where our money was a mess. And I don't know if you guys have ever been where money is just an absolute disaster. Where, I mean, it was, it was to the point where I was, I was staying awake at night. I was petrified. I didn't, A, I didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. I hoped we weren't going to lose our house. I, you, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it was, I, I get that feeling in my stomach just thinking about it, you know? I was, I was petrified. I was scared. And I was so scared that, um, that the first thing I did was I stopped tithing. I was a I was a pastor. First thing I did was I stopped tithing. Why? Because it is so tempting for me to trade the trust that I have in God for that little bit of money that I felt like I needed. It's tempting to trade my trust for some security. Um, That's the first lesson. Lesson. From Hezekiah. But the story goes on and, and it goes on. Here's the, here's the crazy thing he, Hezekiah uses God's money to try to pay off uh, the king of Assyria. Guess what? He took all the money. Thank you very much. I'm still going to destroy you. It did nothing. So he paid him off for absolutely nothing. So fix it number one doesn't work, and then it gets even worse because then then he sends uh, the king of Assyria sends his commander to try to tr- trash talk the uh, is- the Israelites, the people in. In Jerusalem. And so here's this guy, and I want you to picture it. All the, all the people of Jerusalem are inside the, the, the walls of the city, and there's hundreds of thousands of people, uh, of, of warriors out there ready to destroy them. And the only thing saving them is the wall of the city, right? Because they can't get in past the wall. and But they also know that they're going to starve them out. That's how this worked. You go to a fortified city, the army surrounds it, and then you starve, or you, you give up. That's how, that's how warfare worked at the time. And so here they are. And, and uh, the commander of the Assyrian army is yelling out to the people of Jerusalem, trying to tell them, why are you listening to this Hezekiah guy? And listen, here's what he says. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew so that everybody could hear him. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. Don't listen to him. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own sister. And you see what he's trying to do here? Make peace with me. Just come on out. Open the doors. Forget Hezekiah. Open the doors. It'll all be good. Keeps going. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his, hand, his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? This is trash talk. This is as much trash talk as that. And he's trying to petrify them so that they'll open the door and the, and the king and his army can go in and destroy the place. So, so you have this moment where we where we see the people of God have this th- these these messages that are bombarding them do not trust hezekiah do not trust what god says and i got to be honest with you when you are living in that place where you're afraid all the time when you're living in that fear you're, our our lives are being bombarded with that same message over and over again. And you might think that I'm thinking like from the media or you might think that I'm thinking from, you know, your your friends who aren't Christian. What I'm saying is I believe that the trash talk that comes into my life most of the time doesn't come from anybody but me. Life gets scary. And so inside of me, there's a voice that says, are you sure you can trust God? You know, are you sure that He's going to come through? I mean, it's one thing to believe in God. It's a whole other thing to believe He's going to come through when life is at its worst. Are you sure you can trust God? Maybe the voice will speak to you. Don't give anything away don't, surely don't tithe because there will never be enough for you. You know, you know what bills you have. You know what you have to pay. Do not give to God. Don't go looking for another job. This might not be the job you're supposed to be in, but at least it's a paycheck. Don't go looking for another job. Don't wait for the right person to marry. Just Take who comes along. You never, maybe there won't be anybody else. And they're not so bad. These are the, make peace. You know, Senator Cherub says, make peace with me. Make peace with where you are. Don't look for anything new. Don't wait for God to work things out. Work things out yourself. And, um, <clears throat> And so this uh, this commander continues, and he and he says uh, he says, "On what are you?" He's saying this directly to Hezekiah. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt. This is the next thing that Hezekiah has done. So the first thing that he did to try to fix. What is unfixable is he tried to pay off the king of Assyria. It didn't work. He also then sent word to the king of Egypt, to the pharaoh. And he said, hey, let's make a truce. Let's make an alliance. You come and you fight with me because as soon as they're done with me, they're going to come to you. We're going to wait on on the king of of Egypt. So that's that's his next plan. And they waited. And they waited. And the king of Egypt never showed up. King of Egypt was just as scared of the Assyrian army as he was. And they never showed up. And they never showed up. Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. And this is our our second lesson in our um, story of a man who tries to fix it. It is tempting to look for help in the wrong places. He turned to Egypt for help when he should have looked to God. The same thing is true for us sometimes when we are in sort of that terrible, fearful place. Um, we look to lots of different things. It, honestly, it, it feels um, so bad. Sometimes we just want an escape, right? Maybe we look to... Maybe we, let's get a, let's have a vacation. That'll take our mind off of it. Sometimes it gets uglier than that. Or sometimes it's, oh, let's, I'm going to just get in, like, into video games. Not even think about it. Just mindless whatever. TV, books. But it gets, it gets uglier when um, people are looking for, uh, for some kind of relief and they end up in pornography or, or if, they're, um, if the worry that they have, if, they're, if the fear that they're living in is about their relationship with their husband or wife, they find um, some kind of comfort in the arms of somebody else. It gets ugly when we start looking for relief in anything besides God. When our lives are filled with fear and we're just trying to placate, sometimes it's alcohol which just makes us feel numb or drugs but all of those things are, are scary replacements for what it should be. And so he, he tried to pay off the king of Assyria. He tried to um, get Egypt to come to his rescue. And none of that worked. And so he had his last attempt. He says It says, when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted his officials and the military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. Then he worked hard. Everybody say worked hard. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. When he realized he wasn't going to be able to pay him off, when he realized that Egypt wasn't coming to his rescue, he decided, I can do this myself. I can, I can work hard. I can get there. I can do what needs to be done. But that I can do this myself, even though it sounds noble, it is really always about fear and control. I can do this myself. I mean, that's, a, that's an American thing to be, right? I can, do, I can pull this thing off. I can do this myself. And it sounds really good, but the problem is, all it does is reveal that we are absolutely petrified and that we want to be able to control everything that we can possibly control. I, um, I've noticed I, I've got two daughters, and um, they're really great. And they just—they both just graduated high school, and um, you know they've been. I have not been the the perfect dad or anything growing up, but I, I what I've been learning, and maybe it took me too long because they just graduated high school. Um, but what I've been learning is that uh, the more I try to hold them tightly, the quicker they fall out of my grasp. And the looser that I try to hold on to them, I find the more they're drawn to me. And so, um, it's like sand. You guys have heard that, right? You put a a bunch of sand in your hand. If you hold it loosely, you can hold more than if you try to squeeze it. It all starts slipping through your fingers. I've, I've noticed that. Now, obviously, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you, when, you got little, when you got kids, there's always some kind of control you got to hold on to. But, but let's be honest. When it comes down to it, at some point, your kids realize you honestly can only control them so far, right? It has to be this relationship. It has to be a connection. It has to be give and take. And so I've learned that in, at least in our parenting, the, the looser we are able to hold on to our kids within reason. All right, kids are still stupid. I love you guys. But kids are still dumb, right? So you can't just let them do whatever they want whenever they want. I'm not pretending that. But the looser, the looser I can hold to my relationship with my kids, the more drawn they are to me as a person, the more they're willing to ask my advice, the more they're willing to do what I ask them to do, the looser I hold on to my kids. Same thing is true about my wife. When I feel out of control, my tendency is I want to try to control things. But the looser I can hold to my relationships, the more drawn they are to me. The same thing is true about money. The looser I hold on to my money, the more it works out. This idea of control, I'm telling you, um, I struggle with this. I'm going to guess a lot of you guys struggle with it control, our need to control almost always comes from fear. Because I look at my girls and I think I desperately want them to live the life that they were called to live. I want them to follow Jesus. I want them to make the choices that we're going to get them to a place where they are living that life that he has called them to. Am I right? And I am petrified that they won't. Not petrified for me, petrified for them. And if you're a parent and you're not a little petrified of that, I think there's something probably wrong with you. I'm petrified. And so the problem is, when I allow that fear that they're going to make some mistake that's going to ruin it, when I allow that fear to control me so I control them, and the, whole, the tighter I hold, the scarier it gets, the scarier it more they slip out of my fingers. And so um, I'm telling you, every time we say, I can make this happen myself, to a thing that's actually out of, contr- out of our control, it only makes for pain. It only brings pain. When you find yourself in this place where there is this thing that's completely out of your control and Maybe you trade your trust in God for some bit of security. Maybe um, you look for hope in something else, for help in something else, and maybe you just decide, I'm going to take this myself, and I'm going to co- try to control everything I can try to control. That bit in us that is, I just want to fix it. I... Um, I think we end up finding ourselves at the end at the end of it. We get to the end at some point. Here's here here was the end for Hezekiah. Hezekiah realized that all of the stuff that he was trying, all the work that he was doing wasn't going to be enough. And he went with Isaiah the prophet to the temple and they prayed. And they just said, "God, we don't we got nothing." That's it. We've done everything we can do. And then Isaiah the prophet made this prophecy, and we won't go into the whole prophecy, but that day after he made this prophecy, here's what the Bible says. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. 185,000. Thousand people, and you know, I'm sure if you were in Jerusalem, you'd probably be like rejoicing. But can you imagine how disgusting that was? 185,000 people, and I—I got to be honest with you, I don't—I—I I, I don't like thinking about these stories from the perspective of the other people. And I know these were bad guys, and I know they did terrible things. Um, but here's what I also know: I know that it, that. Hezekiah got to the end of himself, all of the things he tried to use to do to fix what was unfixable. By the time he got to the end of himself, he finally just said, God, we have nothing but you, and God stepped in and took care of it. Now, I'm not going to pretend that whatever, whatever big thing you're facing, whatever, whatever unfixable thing you've been trying to fix, that if you just let go today, that God's going to kill 185,000 people for you or whatever the equivalent is in your life. Um, I I don't know that that is a promise, but here's what I I do know. I know that that at some point, you're going to find that you come to the end of your Mr. Fix-It. And the question is, isn't it easier to get to that sooner? Isn't it just easier to get to that sooner? So will... God be your first step or your last chance. You find something that feels out of control. You find the thing that keeps you up at night. You find the, the thing that makes you so afraid that you're willing to trade your trust in God for whatever you think might bring you security. When you, when you find that thing, are you gonna are you gonna Do fix-it mode for as long as you possibly can. Or will you just turn to God and say, right now, I know, even at the end, no matter what I bring to it, it's not going to be enough. God, would you fix it? Why don't you pray with me?